This podcast is a member of WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Welcome to the Roll for Initiative podcast. This is the Roll for Initiative podcast. I am DM Vince, and this is volume number three, issue one nineteen. Sitting alongside Nick, who is back. Nick, hey everybody. And also, as usual, sitting in the background, quiet as ever. DM Matt. Hello, everyone. Forever faithful producer. Hey, you're quiet. You're not supposed to say anything. Sorry, I blew the spot. Yeah, take two. Anyway, now, so we got we're back again. We've got a good show this week for you. I have a couple things to go over. And uh, first, we're here, Nick. What happened last week? You were uh, attending a family event out of town. Yeah, actually, I was in uh, Columbus yet again for uh, another event going out at the convention center. My my oldest daughter was in a pageant, and um, I have to say, it was odd going around the convention center with no gamers around. It's just, it just didn't feel right to me. I don't know why. It just, you know, you go to places like the uh, convention center down there in Columbus, and the only time you go there is for Origins, and you're walking around, it's like, okay, where are all the people, like, wearing, like, you know, capes, and there's no stormtroopers, and someone who's dressed up like one of the Power Rangers? Why am I here? (laughs) Why are we all here? But, um, you know, oh. she, it, it was a good time. The one thing I do have to say is my, my, my youngest, who was obviously not interested in this at all. She's the, she's the gamer girl out of the family. Ooh. There's the, there's the one game store called games and heroes. Mm-hmm. Oh. They're a comic book game store there in, in Columbus at the convention center. And, um, thank God for that. That's all I yeah. can say. Because when we were waiting around for stuff, I said to Anna, I want to go over to the game store. She's like, yeah. <laughs> but um, so that's what I was down there for. So, oh, so you got yourself a little gaming girl. Yeah. You know, Anna, I yeah, I think I said the last time was on when Anna went with me to Origin. She had a blast and she wants to go again next year. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. On to the next generation. Is she uh, is she into like uh, video games as well or not? Yeah, you know she is. She loves Minecraft. Uh oh. And she's been trying to get me into it. So when I was down there, I got her uh, an iron sword from Minecraft. You could buy replicas of the of the different weapons and stuff. She, the three things she's really into is Minecraft, Doctor Who, and Adventure Time. And uh, when we get. F- we got something for Adventure Time for her. I forgot what it was, but um, but yeah, she. I don't know if you've watched the show, but there's a whole lot of D and D references in in Adventure Time. It's it's a really fun show if you haven't caught it. I've but, seen the cartoon like things on flipping the channel, but I've never actually watched it. There there are some really cool D and D references and stuff in there. Like you know, they'll even refer to alignments and uh you know, make your saving throw or something like that, things of that nature, you know, Finn being a paladin, you know, that goes against his alignment or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, there there are some of those old school D&D references in there. So, 
I highly recommend it to people. It's a fun show. Absolutely. I think I'll have to check it out now based yeah, on Yeah, yeah. It is. It's it's a little weird, but you know, if you're into stuff like robot chicken or something like that, it's not that weird. It's it's really geared to kids, but there's some really cool stuff in there. Cool. Yeah. All right. So Matt, what have you been up to? Uh not a whole lot really, just kind of prepping for Gen Con at this point. Oh, that's right. You're going to Gen Con. Yep. And then okay. it'll be about a month, actually. Actually, it'll be, yeah, this time, um, yeah, one month from today of recording, I will be leaving oh. for Indianapolis. So that should be glorious fun. You're going to get us some audio clips from there, maybe interview some people for us? Entirely possible, because uh, I'm really not sure what I'm doing at the moment. Um, I'll probably play some hero clicks, but not sure how much. WizKids had a bit of a kerfluffle uh, this past week in regards to some of the choices they made for Gen Con that just got everyone up in a tizzy. Oh, really? Yeah, they at Gen Con, they run uh, what's called Battle Royals. They're four-player games. Everyone gets a booster, and you do, and everyone like drafts a uh, uh, five-figure team from those. Well, okay. and the winner of this four-player match uh, gets a convention figure, these figure uh, exclusive figure, and these typically go for like $100 to $125 on eBay. Wow. Uh, to play in one of these uh, Battle Royals is $12. So a group of four can play for $48 and get a $120 figure. So that's what everyone does. You get three of your buddies, you all sign up for a Battle Royal, and you all play together. And then you play four of them, everyone walks away with a convention figure. Well, WizKids apparently doesn't like that because they think it's not sporting and doesn't promote being competitive or whatever. So what they decided to do was instead of letting groups of four play, they were going to do random pairings. Like they would once so many people sign up for battle royals, they will just randomly pair off everyone. Oh. But they did this after one week after you could get cash refunds for Gen Con. Oh, man. Yes. So everyone went, like, kablooey. Um, I may or may not, on uh, HC Realms, a uh, WizKids forum, passing out the uh, phone numbers to both uh, WizKids and Gen Con. I may or may not have done that. And I may or may not have... In a local Cincinnati group, showed people where they could find out the uh, CEO of NECA's email and phone number. You cannot confirm nor deny that. No, cannot confirm nor deny. But from what I heard is uh, I know one person did call Gen Con, and they said uh, they were like the 10th person the day that day from what Gen Con said that called to complain wow. about WizKids. So that many people unhappy about that. Yeah, I understand. right. When you have people buying hundreds of dollars in generic tickets to play in these battle royals, and then find out the way they planned on playing, they can't. They and if you wanted to return your generics at this point, you take a five percent hit, and it's for system credit only. So after a couple days of just. Uh, the big internet explosion. Um, yeah, WizKids decided, you know, we're just going to do th everything like we did at Origins, which is what everyone expected, because people were digging up all kinds of forum posts where they said you would be able to play with your friends. They weren't doing anything differently at the moment. And so 
Yeah, they just Sorry. Yeah, oops are bad. They basically pulled a Microsoft in regards to the Xbox One. Sorry. We didn't mean to piss you off. Yep. We'll keep it the way it is. We're sorry. Yep. They did yep. say, though, for next year, they are changing it, and it will be random seating, but they also have other changes. And also, with the initial changes they announced, they did say make accommodations for people that wanted to play in groups of four. However, those groups of – if you wanted to play in groups of four under the, the revised uh, system – it would be $30 a person so you, so you can play with your buddies as opposed to be randomly seated. And they were throwing in a one extra prize of like a, like an oversized booster, which is like $25. But yet they raised the price of the event 72 for a group of four and threw in a $25 uh, prize. So that just like was insulting at that point. And they, because in their original post, they were, trying to pass it off like this was some great deal when anyone that knows basic math knows it's you're just totally getting gouged so but yeah after after the revolt though they listened at least for the short term so cool in the immortal words of ron oh. burgundy well that escalated rather quickly yes it did <laughs> so we got a pretty good show this week uh you oh. sound so excited about it, I must say. I'm look, no, I was looking at uh, something that somebody wrote to me while I was here on doing the show, and oh, they were you know wanted to do another show on our network, so oh, I know. so I said to him, you know, I'll contact you later about that. But anyway, so I was playing my normal games biweekly. That's going pretty good. The group has uh, gotten into some. Um, interesting situations was involved with one of the uh, magic users in the group who uh, apparently has gotten himself a big ego head going on because he made himself a wish and oh wait he didn't make the wish as he's telling the group uh, to uh, pretty much uh, well we'll just say the whole campaign is now kind of shifted to everybody worships this character except for the party so everywhere he goes, he finds a shrine to him or people who know of him. And this character's got a big head. And uh, it's kind you know, of this is going to backfire on him. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Eventually, it will. Uh, so far, he's he's done a couple things that the group consider maybe a little bit distrusting as he's done. Kind of like he's put these items on one magic user in the group was not telling him something, so he found this uh, kind of neck collar thing that controlled these uh, NPCs, and they they managed to get them off the NPCs. So what he did was slapped it on the magic user while he was sleeping to get oh, nice. information out of him, and then pretty much took it off of him by charming him or something. I forgot exactly how it went, but the magic user didn't even realize what happened. And his alignment is what? Uh, he's still a good alignment. Really? Yeah, for now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't do... I forget exactly the whole situation. I'm probably saying it wrong because it was over two weeks ago. Uh, but he's not doing anything that's borderline evil. He's just obtaining information using items. That's all. I don't really consider that evil. I consider that just kind of cunning. Maybe not lawful good or neutral good territory, but more like chaotic. Yeah. But the moment that he starts doing things that are not, I'm sure he'll shift a little bit more neutral than to evil. 
So I would think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know he's listening too, laughing right now too. He's probably like, Bleh. yeah, I know. Yeah, evil maniacal laugh. There's the start. <laughs> yeah, so that's that. That campaign's been going on. Then we have another two chapters to finish on that campaign. Then it'll be over, and then I got to figure out what to do or what to play. Maybe another another chapter or something. I don't know. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, so tonight's Money in the Bank, Matt. Yes, it is. And uh, we always like to discuss pay-per-views on and roll for initiative AD&D podcast. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I'm not going to bore anyone with any details. Uh, there was just some interesting things that came out of it, and yeah. uh, I can't wait to see what happens. That's all. Yeah. It'll, yeah, it it should be interesting, especially when you consider the two Money in the Bank matches, where one seems to have, like, all the main eventers in it, and the other is kind of like mid-card heaven. <laughs> all the scrubs, as they call them. Yeah. Yep, and Hollywood Hogan sitting at home going, why is my career failing? Why am I in TNA? Why did well... I... <laughs> anyway, let's go into some sage advice. Sage advice. Sage advice. Uh, RFI staff at gmail.com or 570-865-4210, the hotline, where you can leave a voicemail. Speaking of voicemails, I have one here right now. Let me play that for you. Hey, guys. This is uh, DM Chad from the Dead Game Society. I just wanted to uh, say I really liked the last show. You guys did a really good uh, rundown on Origins. And DM Nick... Sorry we couldn't get you into uh, into the D-series, but I really enjoyed uh, getting to meet your friends and your daughter and you and everybody and, and running you guys through uh, uh, the uh, Lost Temple of Therizden. So uh, keep the show going, guys. Have a good one. So there you go. It was a DM Nick voicemail. Oh, thanks, Chad. It was great running into those guys. Yeah. I really had a fun time with them. I knew they were busy all that weekend too. I mean, they did their 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 events were just packed. So that's like a signal to me saying, you know what, I'm going to run some events next year. I'm going to do it. Cool. Yeah. Any idea what you're going to run or? No. Well, it's probably going to be A D and D. That's for sure. What I'm going to what I'm going to do, I really don't know. Tumaharis. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, now that you mention it, it's not bad uh, for a convention, really. No. It was a convention. It was actually funny you mentioned that. It was the uh, module for Origins uh, One. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Well, you so might just do that. That might be on the playlist there. So we'll see. Oh, sure. I got some time to figure it out. So yeah, you do about a year or so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, because Gen Con's coming up. I wish I could go to Gen Con. I do have a hotel room that I have to get rid of, actually, speaking of Gen Con. Oh, you still got that hotel room? <laughs> I still have it booked. I have to I have to get rid of it. I guess if someone really wants it out there, I can give it to them. I'm not sure how I could do that. but Yeah, but... you just uh, – there's a way through the housing service to transfer them. So it, pretty it's not the housing service, though. Oh, you, could, uh, you still should be able to transfer it. What hotel is it at? Omni. Omni. You – should be able to transfer it without a problem. Okay. I I tr- I know last year I had a hotel room transferred to me in the uh, 
a Homewood. And that, that's a Hilton, but I would assume most hotels would be like, sure, you can transfer it. We just want the business. Yes, we want your money either way. Right. All right. So then if anyone out there listening is wants to go to Gen Con and just can't find a hotel room that is that close, like the Omni, which is practically across the street, yeah, uh, give me an email and we'll work something out and we'll transfer it over to you because uh, I'm just going to, de- you know, decline it anyway before it's up. So I think Omni is connected with a walkway too, right, to the convention center, uh, isn't it? It's no, no, it's not. Unfortunately, it's like it's right outside of it though. It's two blocks. Yeah, it's right next door. Yeah, two blocks. Oh, okay. Well, not really, it's not two blocks. It, it's well, it's got the plaza in in between. That's right. It's just one. You have to go across the uh, Pan Am Plaza. Yeah, that's better than two miles away. Yes, yeah. very true. It's not bad at all. I stayed at the Omni one year, or actually two years in a row, and it was not bad. It'll, and if you really do want a skywalk, you can just walk uh, across the street to the uh, Crown Plaza, and it's attached. Yeah, and go through the stinky tunnels. Exactly. That's Just like in D&D, there's a stinky tunnel somewhere. It, the tunnel was stinky before the convention actually started this past year. Yeah, I know. When I went, We went in 2011. I remember we met up, Matt. We were yeah. walking through the tunnel. We're like, dude, it's only Wednesday. Why does it smell already? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it did. It smelled on Wednesday, Nick. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. So Jen- I remember when they were remodeling the tunnel area at... Uh, origins that year oh boy did that get rank oh Oh, that causeway that causeway oh it was like half it was like half the size of what it normally was Uh, and it just smelled like a locker room after a championship game yeah (laughs) yeah it is kind of sad they no longer do gaming in the causeway that was kind of fun why there are people that were well, they used to actually have specific tables set up just oh, yeah. when it was just full. I mean, there's people there, but it's not like it, it used to be official. Like, yeah, you just game in the causeway. Yeah, they used to do any sort of pickup game there. But you know what? Um, that still happens from time to time. Yeah. I thought I think the best area so far that I've been since is the Westin. I think that's the most ideal hotel to stay at so far. It's very convenient, especially with the remodeled convention center. Um, I stayed there two years ago, and pretty much you walk across the skywalk, go down a flight of escalators, and keep walking straight, and you're in the new exhibit hall. Yeah, it, if I remember correctly, the, the tunnel was probably not even that long. It was no, very short. Yeah, it, it's very. Yeah, it's a very short. I mean, as for just being right there, that's it's either that or the Crown Plaza. Mm, probably. Yeah, because. Crown Plaza's right across the street <laughs> from the uh, n- the end of the convention center that has the exhibit hall. Now all that construction's gone too now, right? Yeah. Finally, I'm sure. Oh. Yeah. That was horrible getting around in there. Oh, yeah. they Yeah, they did all the construction for the Super Bowl, so. It, uh, Georgia Street, that street they had blocked off with all the construction, yeah. uh, last year's they brought a ton of food trucks in and just lined that street up with food trucks. Oh, wow. So they may be doing that again this year. I'm not sure. Dirty dogs on the side of the street. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there were just massive lines for the food trucks. Yay, botulism. Yep. <laughs> I, I bet they were probably just cheaper than the restaurants, but just mm. as expensive. 
Yeah. Make your save versus poison. There was one food truck. It was like all macaroni and cheese. Ugh. It's like save. Speaking about save versus poison. Right. Remember that 2000, oh, 2011, I was there. I went and ate in that little food area they have in the convention center with a pizza and everything. Yeah. Right? And I got sick that day. Oh, yeah. It's like two games because of that. Failed your save. Yeah. I, did. I majorly failed my save and my constitution check. Right. Whoa. Yeah. That, that's why I usually I eat maybe one meal a day during Gen Con. I, I go into, like, hibernation mode, I call it. I just drink lots of Gatorade, have a couple protein bars, and get one good meal in. And... Wow, that sounds semi-healthy. Yeah. <laughs> what I do, I bring, like, packs of, like, Pepsi and Mountain Dew throwback. Yeah. For snacks, we bring Pringles and Pop-Tarts. Yeah. And throw those in the backpack, you know, use those for snacking around during the day. But, yeah, maybe one good meal. Yeah. Yeah, it's well soda. I don't like it warm, whereas I can tolerate Gatorade if it's like closer to room temperature. Well, that's why you put the soda in a cooler. Oh, you're that guy with the cooler, Nick. Well, I, in the room. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like walking to games with the cooler. I've seen oh God, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. The the backpack I have actually has a pouch for beverages, so I can just stick my Gatorade bottle in it and make it through most of the day. Oh, another thing, folks, and I'm sorry, if you go to the conventions, that's great, and, you know, maybe you can't afford a hotel room. I understand everybody has all the money in the room, but don't stand outside the convention and say, can I sleep in your tub tonight? It's kind of creepy. Yeah. That's I not just, you. yeah. It's just like you come up to me and it's like, oh, you're a gamer. Can I sleep in your tub tonight, please, please? I had that happen, and it was so embarrassing and so disgusting. I've, really? Ugh. Wow. I fortunately not had that happen. Um, I was reading on the Gen Con forums of other people talking about that, though. I'm like, that really happens. Wow. It does happen. I just, I, me, I, I don't know. When I was getting my first few conventions, if I didn't have a place, you just crash in the hallway. They don't. <laughs> Most people do. <laughs> they, uh, they, they look poorly upon that. They kind of actually will rouse you and not let you do that. There, there are still places you could probably get away with it. Somebody... Hide in the 24-hour video room. Yeah. That That's you could probably get away with. See? And then stink two days, no, one day later because it's so hot. At least take a thing of wo- uh, wet naps with you. Or for God's sakes, just go in your car. <laughs> well, these people don't even have cars, dude. Don't, why? Oh, my God. They're totally hoboing it. Yeah, they get dropped off by friends and or some guy who brings them there or whatever, and they just wander <laughs> around until they take the bus home. They're like they're, they're adventurers. They're like hobos that kill things. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Gen Con costing whatever, 800, 900, 1,000 bucks for the hotel. Right. It's costing them what? How much are the tickets? I forgot. Uh, it's like 80 bucks, uh, pr- uh, 70 pre registration to get your badge. That's all they pay. <laughs> and whatever else they pick up. Yeah. So. And these aren't local people, probably. They're from yeah. like out of state or something. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, then there's also those that'll stay at the host- local hostel, too. Uh, no. There's a hostel. There is a hostel. That's kind just of just the name puts me off. Right. Hostel. I, think I don't care how it's spelled. It just don't sound right. I think <laughs> of the movie that they made hostel. Yeah. yeah. And then I freak out. No, yeah. again. No thanks. Nope. Um, anyway, thanks, Chad, for the voicemail that we. Yeah. Made. Thanks, Jeff, for the voicemail. Yeah. Uh, I guess we we got one email. 
Uh, I have one email. You have, you also, you're going to read the email you have, Nick? Yeah, let me go ahead and read it. Go ahead, go ahead. And this, actually, this sounds pretty cool to me. It starts, greetings. My name is James Roadhaver, and I am writing to announce the second season of the fantasy comedy web series Walking in Circles with a brand new teaser trailer, which will be available to the public on July 9th, 2013. So you can go out and look at the teaser trailer. Walking in Circles is an epic medieval fantasy web series that follows the exploits of Crag, the barbarian prince, who leads a party of not-so-heroic adventurers on a quest for fame and glory. It features the talents of Eric Raddick from Grok and Crisis, Kate Wilson, 2012 Ice Age, she was in, Adam Randy, Ben Birch, amongst an outstanding cast of guest stars, including Jolene Kay from Star Trek, Jennifer Karras from Warrior Showdown, and Diana Restrepo from Bond James Bond, and Azim Rizik from Power Rangers Megaforce. God. And Andrew Matthews from, uh, I guess he was in Bones. To catch a glimpse of this epic web series all about, we'll have a link. And um, just sounds like a really cool web series. I didn't even know that there was one season. I guess, uh, like, is it something like Journey Quest? or I don't know, but... Uh, this season will feature intense action sequences choreographed by TJ Sensula from Warrior Showdown and awe-inspiring special effects that bring magic and mayhem to life. First episode will be going live on August 27th. So there will be a world premiere screening of the entire eight-episode arc at Gen Con this year. Yeah. Friday, August 16th at 10 a.m. if you're going to be up that early. So, so it's free to anyone who has a Gen Con badge. So, oh, that's cool. So, um, it's independently produced. They do have a Facebook page. Um, you can follow them on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> they have a YouTube uh, channel, and we'll have all those links in our uh, notes page. So, Walking in Circles season two. I got to check out season one. Yeah, sounds like a fun show. So. That's uh, from the folks at Walking in Circles. Yeah. Woo woo. And thank you very much. And our last email comes from uh, one of the people in my gaming group, actually, named Ash. He writes in, Magic users are the best, pla- best class to roleplay at low levels, question mark. Before you berate me in front of all your listeners out there, hear me out. Early in the career of a magic user, you only have a one-shot spell, typically sleep. Then they are relegated to carrying the torch in the middle of the party, where some players may think that is where the boredom begins. I disagree. It is a great chance to bring your character to life and role-play a personality. Other classes, like fighters, for example, tend to be hack-and-slash at the levels where magic users, by nature, facilitate a great opportunity to bring vitality to the campaign. Currently, I have a level two magic user, and I am playing him as a bookish snob. This is the character <laughs> I was talking about. He has quickly become the most popular and the most <laughs> reviled, reveled, not reviled character in our party, as evidenced by our campaign's forum entries. You can uh, see those links. I'll post them up. 
What are your thoughts on recharging magical items such as wands or staffs? I cannot find a consensus online other than in 3E, which says you cannot do it. Having an acute hatred for 3E, I want to ignore this ruling. He wants to know what we think about that. People I think of- we talked about that once. Yeah, we did. Back in uh, issue 79. Dang, you're on it, Matt. Yeah. yeah. Issue 79 where we talked about pixies. Wow. Yeah. There you go. And we <laughs> talked about recharging magic items. Yep, in the Dragon's Horde. And there's a couple different uh, Dragon Magazine articles that cover it. Uh, Charging Isn't Cheap by Peter Johnson in Dragon Magazine, uh, issue 101, page 29. And then in uh, Arcane Lore by Dan Snuffin, uh, Dragon Magazine, issue 136, page 46. Wow, you're good. The joys of having all the show notes uh, searchable on my desktop. You do? Wow. I do. I have the, I keep all the show notes in a OneNote uh, notebook, so I can just search and it'll find things for me. It's... Well, good, because I got tired of putting show notes in. Okay, <laughs> okay cool. That's, that's good to know. There you go, Ash. And he also wanted to know some, some thought or some feedback of, as far as magic users, how he's playing it, and how you would bring a magic user to life. Well, I think he's, as far as my perspective as a DM and and the group, I think he's doing a fine job of bringing a really a class that could be very boring to life. And the situations that he's been involved in, if you read the campaign journal notes, which I'll I'll put that link uh, up, he has pretty much wound up weaving himself into the party for saving the party on more than three attempts. Hmm. Even though some of it's a little bit jaded, the uh, campaign journal, but he has actually managed to save the party legitimately more than three times. What do you think, Nick? I th- I don't know. There's a lot of ways that you can play magic users. I tend to think of magic users as rather eccentric uh, personalities. You know, I just dealing with the arcane. I think it it tends to lend to that sort of personality. But they're also, I always thought of like magic users as also sages as well. So they have some use besides at lower levels when they blow their first spell off that I always tend to, as a D on the DM side, you know, if the, if the party runs into a problem of figuring something out, maybe a new type of monster or how a monster, uh, how the monster reacts to certain things or trying to identify an item. I, I tend to use magic users as that type of go-to person to have knowledge on, on those sorts of things. But right. as far as like personality, yeah, I, I play magic users as rather eccentric and a little weird. Like my one who's uh, whose name is Tim. <laughs> so you can probably imagine who I kind of model him after. <laughs> I don't Tim. Yeah. Tim, the Enchanter. Tim. You know, from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Oh. Ah. Yeah, and his alignment's chaotic neutral. So I tend to play that up from time to time because if I don't know what he might do in a situation, I will flip a coin. Whatever comes up, that's what he's going to do. So you're two face. <laughs> yeah, so you're two face now, yeah. No, my, I flip. Oh, no, no, not no. the character does. Two-Face. Two-Face. Harvey Dent. <laughs> this is Fine, he's a cool villain, so there. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, are, we talking, are we talking Two Face Tommy Lee Jones or Two Face that dude from the No, no the newer Two Face. I hate the Tommy Lee Jones one. Okay, the guy for Thank You for Not Smoking. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which was also a very good movie if you've ever seen it. Oh, yeah. Thank You for Smoking. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, there was a comment on our website I forgot to mention to you guys and the audience out there. there were, someone wrote in, he would, they were concerned that we were doing non-AD&D material when we did the Ghostbusters show last time. I believe that we've done this in the past, and it was only just to give people a look at what else is out there in the old school games as far as when this game, first edition, was live on the market. Right. right. It's just kind of a look back episode, that's all. And yeah. to get people like, oh, wow, that's a cool game we could play also. Mm-hmm. It's like when you play your, we played back then. I never played first edition that much of that straight. We don't, every once in a while we'd switch. Sure, yeah. there's a lot of games from that era. I mean, when you're talking first edition AD&D, you're talking r- roughly 77 up to 89. Yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of great games out there on the market. And, and it's just kind of like, like, Vince says, look back at the time period. There was other stuff like, you know, well, the next probably big fantasy game besides D&D was RuneQuest. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How many people I knew played that loved mm-hmm. to play the, what was the other D&D was RuneQuest? He had Palladium and yeah. uh, Gamma World. Uh, Tauslantia. Tauslantia. Oh, yeah. Robotech. Robotech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Uh, then Star Wars D6 came out in 87. Yeah, um, Marvel superheroes. Call stuff. of Cthulhu, one of my fa- yeah. all-time favorites as far as horror genre is concerned. The DC superheroes game. DC superheroes, yeah. Marvel superheroes, Paranoia. Um, gosh, Twilight 2000. Twilight 2000. I miss Twilight 2000. That was a great game. Yeah. That was fun. Tune. Tune, yes. yes. So there's just some games that are out there that we may be doing shows on in the future as well. So sorry. The original Fossa Star Trek, I think, too. Yeah, well, I have the second edition, I believe. Mm. I don't have the original cover. So we might like go in the Wayback Machine and, and cover those on the show, yeah. or maybe so. maybe we'll talk about literally go in the Wayback Machine and talk about the Rocky and Bullwinkle RPG. Oh gosh, odd. They Dallas, actually- the RPG. Yeah, yeah, that was out there. Yeah, yeah the yeah. owner of the the uh, game store that uh, Jim Wampler plays DCC at has the Dallas RPG, and um, it's for sale. No, he he actually will occasionally run it. So what do you have to figure out who shot Jr. Or? I don't know. It's it's just one of those wacky things. If I saw it for the right price, I would totally buy it because it's just so. What were they I want thinking? to play TV's Patrick Duffy. Yes. Well, Patrick Duffy back then or Patrick Duffy Dallas now? Oh, no, Patrick Duffy then. Oh, okay. <laughs> Before he became the leg of Scuzzlebutt. Oh, stop. yeah, I remember that. Oh, that's TV's Patrick. <laughs> and Scuzzlebutt. Behold my Patrick Duffy leg. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, South Park reference. Yes, I know. I've seen it. <laughs> okay, let's head into some table matters. Okay. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay, folks, uh, in table manners this week, we're kind of, I guess, do something in 
uh, relation to clerics would be the use of holy water and how uh, holy water is made, ways to use it, maybe uh, some definitely some creative ways to use it in your in your campaign. And one of the interesting things is how it slows down poison and I guess lycanthropy too. Mm -hmm. So one of the interesting things about making holy water, if you have a character who wants to do that and you got to go to the dmg pages 114 and 115 okay and it's under the magical research section right at the beginning and they talk about creation of holy holy slash unholy water so only clerics not druids can prepare holy water or unholy water in case of evil clerics you need a third level spell is involved and you have to be of at least fifth level experience to create uh holy water you have to have a specially blessed slash cursed basin of basically made of precious metals, maybe some gems. Uh, it has to be fashioned for the cleric. Huh. It's engraved with all these holy symbols on it and the, of the cleric's deity or deities. And it must be within a special repository of finely crafted and carefully worked rare wood with a base pedestal chest like holder and lid. The whole thing knowing known as a font and not like Helvetica. Okay, folks. <laughs> the basin is placed within the font and the cleric then casts the following spells in succession. He has to be in formal robes and vestments. You have to create, do create water purify food and drink or the reverse bless or the reverse chant for one full turn and prayer. And the amount of water you make depends on the metal of the receptacle that you use. And there is a chart on page 115 that says all the different metals that you can use and the capacity of the receptacle the minimum and maximum of the basin costs and the font costs. Uh, one of the things that gets a little confusing is you can use basically all the five, the five, uh, you know, uh, coin type uh, metals, copper, silver, electrum, gold, and platinum. What gets a little confusing into this is that you can allow, you may allow as a DM combination of metal vessels with capacity according to the composition found by interpolation of the above capacity figures so it gets really confusing if you want to allow uh, a, using multiple types of metals in the creation of this thing so like a doc brown explanation yeah so basically the experiment the example it comes with is a copper basin chased with silver and set with silver rim and handles would hold eight vials and cost 50% of the copper vessels vessel plus 50% of the silver vessel price. Fonts and basins must be designed in construction on special order. The process taking four to 10 weeks. Holy cow. Yeah. It takes a long time. Um, Capacity is designed for game purposes as the limit supplies. And you can, if you want to use more of the metal or even using precious stones, if you do that, it could be to justify by the rationale that deities find more precious metals more pleasing and are 
and maybe gems, so they are prone to grant more favor upon offering such vessels. So it takes a, a whole entire eight hours of rest, it takes a full day of the prayers and meditation, followed by the actual ritual, and you can only do it once a week. Yes, you can only make uh, the holy water once a week, and it takes anywhere from a month to two and a half months to create one of these holy water receptacles. So, and you could defile the fonts. There's rules listing how you could defile them as well. The, the funny thing is, at least for me as, as a DM, I've never had in my experience or even played it, anyone making holy unholy water fonts and re- receptacles. I've always, we, I think like a lot of people have done, always played it out. Okay, you go to your, quote, your, your local uh, yep, temple, whoever it is, and you buy holy water from them. So <laughs> that I, I tried to keep it as simple as possible. But I guess if you were to have a cleric in the party and he gets a high enough level and wants to make a stronghold, you know, mm-hmm. have his own church – um, this is this is rules right here that you can use for they have holy water um, that you can make on his own. I, I'm glad they include these type of rules, but like you said, with the strongholds and things like that, I've played campaigns like that mm-hmm. and feel that characters at that level doing that stuff just becomes tedious and boring because all yeah, you it can be yeah sitting around building this castle doing it, it's just like nothing really happens so unless you right. make it happen, but. It's not really. I don't. I don't consider it a game anymore. It's just. Yeah, it just seems like a whole lot of bookkeeping and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And at least how I play it, like stuff like this, it's not in during the. This is stuff that you handle outside of the actual game session. This is stuff you don't want to role play. Yeah, this it's is like a bunch writing, of game mechanics stuff. Yeah, you write an email to your DM. He you know, takes a look at it and he asks you a couple questions back and forth. By the time your next session is ready to play, you'll have some things hammered out. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's how this should be handled. Just like strongholds should probably be handled the same way. It's like in-between session stuff that's going on. And then looking at these rules, too, though, I'm almost wondering, maybe I should start limiting the amount of holy water in the game. Maybe every temple you wander into wouldn't be willing to sell you the vial. Because it takes a week to make some. Exactly. (laughs) It'd be like, is this a really, really, really important purpose? Or do you just want to walk around with some just in case? That's why holy water isn't cheap. Right. Well, it's not supposed to be unless you just give it cheaply. Nick. No, it's not not cheap at all. Cheap. Several gold pieces. Right. So. But, But even then... To a fifth level adventure, a couple gold pieces isn't much of anything. They this I could still see saying, "No holy water for you." That we need to save this for something a little more important. Or, oh, it depends on the font that they have. If they have one that's just, um, like a little, you know, six vials. Yeah, it only produces six vials a week if they produce it weekly. Then. And you say, well, I need 10. Well, we only have six, and we only could give you half of that. Right. Well, then they're going to have to settle with only three. Right. You know? So well, uh, the the temples have their uses for it, too, as well. Yeah. Let's take a, a, a little bit of look at this interesting section at the very bottom of it, Nick, about ingesting it and drinking it. Yeah. I, I never knew that it could slow down lycanthropy at all. Yeah, you know what? That's one of those things that kind of escapes you. It's like, oh, I didn't know that, or... 
right. if I did know, I forgot about it. Yeah, you, you ingest um, a vial of holy water, it will slow the effects of becoming a lycanthrope or becoming undead. So one vial will slow the process for one the four terms uh, turns and the amount the amount of time is secretly known by the DM. Of course it is. <laughs> and but uh that's that's pretty cool. A lot of people forget those things like okay, we got to get holy water because we got to fight someone dead. Well, you know what? There's also another reason why you need that holy water in case someone in your party won't become one of the walking dead. Right. You can use this at least delay the effects until hopefully you could get them back to where they could do like a remove curse or something like that. Before Rick Grimes comes and shoots your heads off. Yeah, that's true. When someone comes around with your boomstick. Now, Matt made an interesting discovery before the show about holy water when looking it up in the appendix. Yeah, back in the the glossary. glossary. You're right. There's a throwaway line talking about it's useful as a weapon against undead or to slow the effects of poison. This is the only reference of holy water affecting poison in the entire DMG. Yeah, that's, I saw that, and I was, I was asking you guys about that as well. I, I've never used that rule or heard of that rule. Neither have I. You know what? Another one of those things you go, oh, I'll be darned. Right. Where'd that, <laughs> hey, where'd that come from? Well, so apparently it can slow the effects of poison. Maybe I what use- is the slowing effect? There's no rule. <laughs> I would use the one to four turns thing as right. well. I would too. Yeah. Save us lycanthropy and slowing the effects of undead one to four turns. But I try to. I'm trying to think how holy water would slow down poison. How would, is it the purification of the water? I, I you- would have to I guess because it is imbued with positive energy from that god, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's purified. It's so therefore poison being a a negative type detrimental thing to life. Holy water no, will negate that. Right. Okay, now let's think about this. Unholy water, and you're good. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to that good player? Is he going to start becoming ill? Is he going to start taking penalties? Will he feel a difference, or will he not feel a difference? Well, so water. if you were a character, you were poisoned, and then you ingested unholy water? No, let's just say you found holy water, and you didn't know it was holy water, and you drank it. But it was actually unho- unholy water. I would say in that respect, nothing would happen to you nothing because, because holy water, if nothing's wrong with you and you ingest it, doesn't do anything to you itself. Same thing about the unholy water. The only way holy or unholy water affects something is if they are um, strongly attached to the positive or negative material planes. Like it says in the rules, like for um, under using you know, grenade-like missiles, and for holy unholy water, uh, all forms of undead, as well as creatures from the lower planes, are affected by holy water. Okay, now this is interesting. Paladins, Lamassu, Shidu, Kyren, and similar creatures of good alignment are affected by unholy water. So if you're a paladin and you accidentally ingest unholy water, yeah, you're going to take two to seven hit points of direct uh, hit damage from that vial. Yeah. Well, I've actually done 
something in one of my campaigns as far as drinking holy water and unholy water. I've said that drinking holy water will be, it was kind of an undead campaign. So drinking holy water will give you the ability of courage for one to four turns. And drinking unholy water will turn you into a complete chicken every time you see something. So okay. That's just something I've done. Yeah, and that's cool. That depends on the campaign. I, I would say it's like if it was, you know, Bob the fighter who's chaotic good and he drinks either one, it's not going to affect him. But a paladin, apparently so. Right. Oh, paladin yeah. will be affected. What about a cavalier? Doesn't say that. I, I don't that. think cavalier would fall under that. Yeah. But uh, if my paladin in the group uh, unholy water every day, he tries to drink. Um, but some other ways to use <laughs> uh, use uh, holy water is like yeah, to slow the effects of poison, lycanthropy, uh, turning and becoming one of the undead. Um, you can also, depending on, I guess, the situation is, you can use it to uh, defile an unholy site, right. you know, yeah. or quote unquote purify it. Right. I I allow that in my game. Like if uh, if the uh, party comes across uh, an evil temple and there's in, in the dungeon and there's the uh, there's the uh, uh, <laughs> Why am I at a loss of words here? The altar. The altar. Thank you. <laughs> you can use that to purify or, de- or you know, to desanctify the... Desecrate? Uh, desecrate. Thank you. Boy, I'm lost of words today. What the heck? Um, uh, to uh, do that to the temple. So yeah. that's one way I can use it. Yeah. Um, you can also use it to ruin the font and basin of uh, an, the opposite uh, uh, now words are hard for me uh, yeah you can use it to defile the fawn and basin so you could, if someone were to pour holy water on the good aligned uh, temple's basin it would destroy it and it would have to actually melt it down mm-hmm. into a, a toto whatever, whatever. Tot- yes a toto it actually said toto I think in toto yes now, perhaps it means things... in total, not in toto, as in like the doggy. Oh, okay. All right. One of the things I found interesting when we were talking about holy water is the one weapon, the holy water sprinkler, that's listed in the player's handbook. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about we were talking about before the shows, like how would that work? As far because a holy water sprinkler, if anybody's familiar with how they are, it's it's a, it's a mace like. A device, and usually the priest either dunks it in some holy water and sprinkles it, or there is a, a receptacle to where you could fill the the bottom of the uh, of the holy water sprinkler with holy water, and as you shake it about, it will uh, let loose a spritz of holy water. Now, as far as the game is concerned, if you were going to use said my weapon against undead what would the damage be would it be just as a splash or as a direct hit if you're hitting them directly with the weapon yeah with the holy water sprinkler and it has the holy water in it and the weapon connects actually hitting them yeah i would do a direct hit then yeah direct right. contact and mm-hmm. if they missed it would just maybe splash damage maybe yeah. i yeah. Would, i would say maybe depending on how by how much they missed if it was like they're off by one. Yeah, 
you got some splash damage. If they really, really missed, didn't even come close. Okay, so you just used and and the rules for that page sixty four of the DMG what damages for the holy water, either a splash yeah. or direct hit. Yeah, and don't forget the uh, sword of Griswold. Oh yes. Oh, the sword of Griswold. I almost forgot about that. Yeah. John is probably listening, laughing, going, oh, that sword again. Yes. <laughs> yes, the, the sword that squirts your holy water out. I mean, yes. So, yeah. So, you For 2,000. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I do remember there are, like, there's a few uh, adventures out there that the, the how they're written, I know as a DM it says, you know, if the player characters use holy water in this in this respect, uh, then this happens. Yeah, it seems I that, remember uh, uh, there was an adventure like that. It seems that modules like to make up their own rulings on the fly, and they just never carry forward into anything other than the module. Right, right. So it's it's a little. I guess you could be a little loose on somebody how you can use it for especially uh, in certain special situations. But there are some rules that you can go by in the books that at least give you a, a good guideline to go by. Absolutely. So that's pretty much in on holy water and how it's made and ways to use it. And the thing on the use poison, that one thing I did not know. <laughs> yeah. Canthropy too. And lycanthropy right. and slowing the effects of undead. So it's nope. pretty cool stuff. I, I like to hear from everybody out there like, the uses of holy water or un- unholy water uh, in their campaigns, how it's used maybe in unique ways, creative ways. So we'll put that out to our uh, our listeners. You can email us. RFISTAFF at gmail.com. RFISTAFF at gmail.com. Let's head into our next segment. Okie dokie. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want, but are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Now, if you flip uh, your DM guide open to page 28, we're going to take a look at the helmet rule that most people kind of ignore, and I know I do. You don't don't spear with the helmet. That's spearing... That's a, what is that, a 10-yard penalty and loss of down? Yep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, so this is a different helm rule. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I got what you meant. <laughs> anyway, so it's assumed that the appropriate type of head armoring will be uh, added to the suit of armor and allowed to have a uniform protection up and down of the wearer. I guess, obviously, some of them suits do not have helms, such as the chain shirts and things like that. Maybe mm-hmm. let, maybe, and obviously cloth. So what this rule is pretty much doing is telling you that there is an actual rule in here for actually striking a head that is uncovered. So there's obviously the great helm, which you can buy, which I don't think there's really much restriction on wearing a great helm for any class, honestly. It does restrict vision, though, but it gives your head an AC of one. Nice. Uh, Which I I agree with and kind of don't agree with this rule. So it's saying if you're not wearing a helmet, a one and six blow will strike your head. So you roll D6, and if you get a one, or obviously if you get a six, depending on which the DM wants to decide, you get to strike the head at an AC of 10, unarmored. Ugh. Unless 
unless you're an intelligent creature it's every every other blow one and two one and two so what is it one to three on a d6 or yeah four five six on a d6 depending what the dm wants to do uh i don't agree with this somewhat because i think the head is probably uh, it's a targeted spot and i don't think it's that easy to hit and even if a one and six blow or a 50 percent chance to hit the head i don't think it's ac 10 it, why doesn't it configure in your dexterity at all? And I don't know. One, I would think it would configure your dexterity. It's a smaller object that you're aiming for. Right. It's probably going to be easier to move your head out of the way. I don't know if anyone's ever played any real sword fighting type things. or I like have. PCP type. What are those? PCP pipe, whatever they call things. I've done SCA for a number of years. And yeah. let me tell you, you get hit in the head a lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot. Yeah, I, I I rarely got hit in the head. Maybe either because I was good at protecting my big head or whatever. I don't know. People like to go for headshots. Yeah, they Did do. I, I was always going for body shots because it's easier to knock the body parts. They're bigger. Right. Well, I constantly people doing headshots. Love to do that. I mean, a good solid head blow will take someone out. Right. That's why I don't like to do this helmet rule because. I've never used it, and it's just, I think it just slowed the game down a little bit more. Well, or speed it up, even the combat even more. Yeah, because you'll have a lot of dead character, player character, you know, a lot of dead PCs, and, you know, the the paper's going to be stacking up pretty quick. Right, and plus, when you get into creatures that have natural armor, I would say they're not an AC-10 at their head, they're whatever their natural armor is. Right. Yeah, I mean, then you're going to have people saying, well, I'm going to aim for the head of that dragon. Well, it says here in rule, the AC is 10 for the head. So, Sorry, my campaigns, anybody that says I'm aiming for the head, that's minus four right there. Yeah, cold yeah. shot. Yep. And, well, this rule I never thought was fair. I've always assumed that if you're wearing the armor, you're wearing the same thing on your head. So if it's a right. chain mail, you're wearing that chain thing. You're, that yeah, you got a chain right. mail. Fun. But, <laughs> but this rule would apply to even people that or just have like a chain shirt on with no helmet, or just anything. What if yeah. you're dealing with intelli- an intelligent foe? Fifty percent of the shots will be going at your head, armor or not. Just to see in my next game to see what it's like, right? How it does with combat? Because I don't. I think it's just going to make things like really quick and really annoying for players. Right. I, I see players dropping fairly quickly at low levels, especially. Yeah. Now. Users, yeah, PC's going. Actually, right. magic users would probably be the one that survive the best because they're not as dependent on natural uh, on armor. They they're using their uh, spells, so and when they're they, not getting a melee as much, right? And when but when they're using like if they use mage armor, that would apply. I would say that applies to their head as well. I would think so. So it actually hurts them the least, and maybe it actually balances out the squishiness of the magic user and. Gives that and brings the rest of the classes a little uh, more in line. The magic user, the chewy nougat center of the party. Yeah. <laughs> and they have some other rules in here for magic armors, magic shields. Some people oh, will. Yeah. Back up on that magic armor. Did you see that last italicized sentence? Yeah, there. Magic armor. When magic armor is worn, assume that its properties allow movement at the next higher base rate, and that the weight is cut by fifty percent. That's percent. Yeah, percent. Yeah. Looks like two thirds on the screen here. There is no magical elven chainmail. <laughs> uh, let me re- uh, yeah. Then let's bring in Ernest Arcana. What's in there? Mm. Magical elven chainmail. 
Well, obviously this was written before that. Nick. Right. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> yep. A little contradiction there later on. Well, well Gary not, changed his mind. He did that I a lot. Guess, I guess so. I'm just saying. Well, let's not forget the Unearthed Arcana was made because people wanted alternate rules and Gary didn't necessarily like them. He just did it to appease people. I know there. I don't want to. Okay, I don't want to get in the whole North Arcana debate. No, oh, come on, bring it, bring it. No, no, people hate it. People love it. Yeah. Uh, magical shields are no less weighty, <laughs> like the word weighty, than their non-magical counterparts, but they are non-bulky res- with respect to encumbrance. So they're not less weighty, but they're less bulky. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> they they move easier. Yeah. <laughs> anyway so those are the couple things about it but the major part of this was the the helmet rule which i'm not sure i would probably use people seem to have used it online now when i saw someone really about that yeah like oh i always use this rule i'm like you do so uh all my years of gaming i've never known anybody use that helmet rule ever no i've just assumed that everybody has armor with headgear Matt, you agree with that? Yeah, I, I agree as well. I would assume most adventurers with sense would have some sort of helmet on. And even so, I would assume they would also win in combat, make their head kind of difficult to hit, at which point it would be their normal armor class. No, no, not in the face, not in the face! Exactly. Duck under, ducking underneath blows. I mean, I would definitely... Duck behind the magic user? Yeah. Push the magic user in front of him since he actually has the mage armor on so you can wallop him upside the head sure. all day with a two-by-four and he wouldn't feel it. Throw the halfling thief at him. Yeah. I'm going to try to predict here what our former co-hosts have said about these type of rules when we go over rule discussions. I have a feeling that Jason, our former co-host, would probably be like, you know, I don't really remember that rule, but I'm using it from now on. <laughs> yeah. yeah that sounds like a good rule. He would definitely say, sounds like a good rule. I'm going to use that. Right. Like when I went that over the episode about grading characters, he didn't. He forgot about that totally. And he's like, I'm using that from now on. I'm going to grade my characters. I'm like, uh, all right, dude. Now, I bet Will, who's former co-host, would probably would have said, I use that rule all the time. Right. Mm. That's how he was. He was a stickler for the rules. Yes. So that's our predictions there. If it's true, it's true. It's not. It's not. Whatever. Yeah. Anyone have any comments before we move into a creature? At some point, I think I may try it, like an encounter or something, just to see what happens. Yeah, I'm thinking about doing that, too. Because who knows? Maybe it does make things better. But... No, I I think the body count's going to go up. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you wanted a more lethal game, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. It's lethal enough as it is, you know? Well, if you don't have enough TPK in your groups... I mean, monsters have the advantage on to hit anyway. So, right. and most of them have like natural armor, right? So, you know what? I me, I'll never use it. I have not ever used it. So there you go. I think it's going to slow things down. Okay, cool. Let's head to a creature. Are you saying that I put? An abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long gorilla! Creature Feature Theater. It's alive! It's alive! And in this week's uh, 
episode of the Creature Feature Theater, we're going to go through the looking glass as we <laughs> pull a monster out of dungeon land. Ooh, yes. One that um, you'd probably be wise to wear a helmet if you're dealing with it, and you may <laughs> want to carry a pint of brandy. And that's Dungeon Module EX-1, right? Yes, EX-1, the Alice in Wonderland-inspired module. The first of two. So, But the monster we're talking about is the Executioner's Hood. In the module itself, when the players come upon the Mad Hatter, he's going to start pulling things out of his hat. <laughs> Unfortunately, not rabbits. It's all stuff that actually will go on a player's head. And in this case, it's an executioner's hood. It's a small bag-like monster that captures its prey by engulfing their head and then suffocating them. It does 1d4 points of damage immediately and then a further 1d4 of strangulation and suffocation until it it is killed, or the uh, it slays the uh, players. Because it's propensity to surround the head, the executioner's hoods are very difficult to slay. They are unaffected by sleep spells, and because of some fibrous strands they have, any spells that hit them also will affect the character they're suffocating. However, it has one weakness, Brandy. You pour a pint of brandy on it, it becomes drunk and wanders off. So now you have a reason to keep alcoholics in your group. But yeah, the the monster itself, it actually just looks like an executioner's hood. Dull black, two eye holes. It's only about an inch thick. And it, it can also spread out into like a flat disc form. So... This is one of those creatures that I've never actually used, but I've seen it before. It's also in the Monster Manual, too. And yep. it's like, I keep thinking, maybe one day. See, I would almost have it, like, hanging on a rack with, like, maybe mm -hmm. an axe and some other stuff to see if the player is dumb enough to put it on themselves. Uh, have any of you guys actually used one before? No. Not me. Yeah. I just remember first seeing it in that module, and then I remember seeing it Monster Manual 2 when it came out. But um, I would say not just brandy. I'd say any strong alcoholic beverage. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it causes the monster to lose... It, it act, The brandy actually... It causes the monster to lose one point of damaging ability per round, and after four, that's when it's drunk. That's only if you pull the four quart on it. So what if I had vodka? Hmm. I don't know. Do we? <laughs> do we? Yes. Wrong. Yes. It, yes. Is it immune to? Is it all alcohol or is it specifically brandy? Hmm. It has a taste. Perhaps a it does. Particular type of alcohol. Perhaps oh, it that's does. Just ridiculous. Yes, in a game with dragons and fairies, a monster only being drunk off brandy. It is ridiculous. What does this thing think it is? Yeah, it, yeah. And the monster is also kind of unique, and it has three different sets of hit die to pick from. Yeah. Either two plus two, four plus four, or six plus six. So, yeah, it, it's just something nasty to spring upon your characters because once it engulfs them, at that point, it's going to be kind of hard to get off 
because you're going to be bopping a character in the head as you hit it. <laughs> I just th- this was designed to kill a player character. Yeah. It was I mean, come on, immune to sleep spells? I mean, really? And then I'm there's something I I'm trying to remember where I read it. Maybe it was in a later edition. It said if it attacks a player that's wearing a helmet, it actually just lets go and moves on to something else or something about like the helmet that it didn't particularly care for. But I yeah, think that it doesn't like stick on your head. Yeah. So I'm thinking, but I think that was in later edition. Let me pull out the Monster Manual 2 here. And see if it, because I think the I don't ra- think they put that in Monster Manual 2. Uh, let's see here. Executioner. It is on page 64. 64, yes. I'm reading it. Yeah, they know the same thing about Helms. Yeah, so that must have been out of a later edition. Yes, the edition of Sean Hoppy. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> But yeah, it's just something different to spring on the characters. That yeah, this is the one that you use against the irritating player on his character, right? You're just yeah, you just be bopping along, minding your own business, and you know, like in the dungeon, and all of a sudden this thing drops out of the ceiling and, onto his head, and then they're flailing around like someone threw a towel at them in the Naked Gun movies. Yes, I'll cast sleep on it. Does nothing. What? <laughs> cast fireball. That'll do it. <laughs> So if you cast Magic Missile and it hits the Executioner's Hood? Yeah, it, yeah, it, it will also affect the player as well because it says it's totally unaffected by sleep spells and its attack method, Fiber Strains, causes the victim to suffer whatever other spell Which effects. Spell effects the Executioner Hood. Oh, that is just nasty. Yeah, that's this is a monster built to kill one player character. Yeah, right. Well, the Tarrasque is built to destroy an entire nation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, they only appear in groups of one. Because if there were six of them, at that, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah, you you want to like do what? Right. You want to try to do that again? Right. You, oh. Yeah, you could mix it in with a bunch of treasure for the party that likes to put on everything. Yes. You see this really cool black hood? Oh, the thief will take that. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yep. Not anymore. Not anymore. Better pour some brandy on it. <laughs> yeah, you know, just the specific with brandy, this is kind of funny. Yeah. I'm thinking, what if you poured the brandy from Castle Amber from that one table where if you drank the brandy and failed your save, you'd die? Yikes. <laughs> oh, that might affect the person, too. Yes. So the executioner hood misses its save or makes it, the other person would have to do that, too. Right. That would stink. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Just a, something a little different to uh, throw at your players, because yeah. no, no one really expects a, a hood to uh, suffocate them. Out in the hood. Yep, out in the hood. Cool. So, I guess that's going to wrap up everything for this week. Oh, okay. Nice little short, interesting show for everybody out there. Yeah. Short, interesting, fun. Yes. You so have to comment and say a bunch of people did love you adding the Ghostbusters music to last week's show, Matt. Yes. But, yes. It you had in the that episode with the Ghostbusters music. It was required. Well, at least you didn't do like you said you were going to do. Add the Ghost Ghostbusters. No, you said it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh yes. That, yeah, Nick, you missed that fun show. I know. I I'm like. 
I love Ghostbusters. I like the, the whole Twinkie part of this. <laughs> what about the Twinkie? <laughs> yeah. That's one big Twinkie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a, a lot of sites out there. I was looking, especially yeah. on Amazon, you can buy the Ghost Die. So. I remember playing that when it first came out. Uh, really fun game. Still fun. Yeah. So that's going to wrap up the show this week. We'll be back next week with a, just a wonderful show. And uh, keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night. Bye, everybody. We are out. Go for initiative.